Good morning, family. You guys doing all right this morning? Good. Come on, if you're thankful to be in church, just give the Lord another hand this morning. His presence has been so good this morning. So good to see you. Woo! Love worshiping with you guys. Hey, our, our lead pastor, Pastor Rick, he's actually on the other side of the planet right now, and uh, he actually just got to speak in an underground church in China and is having a great trip over there. Um, but I want to encourage you to continue to pray for him as he's on that missions trip. And how many of you guys are thankful for our pastors, Rick and Michelle Bazet, the vision God gave them? And we wouldn't be sitting here without that. We've been in this series, Nothing New. And we started this off with this thought out of Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 9. It says this in the New Living Translation. History merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. When studying history and when studying the word of God, what you find is there's a lot of cycles and patterns. And what we've been learning throughout the series is that even though these things happened thousands of years ago, the principles that these characters and these, these men and these women walk through during Bible times, they're still applicable to our lives today. The things that we can learn from them. So we've been walking through a couple different characters with that. Today we're focused in on an entire people group, the Israelites, and what we can learn from them. What I love about the Bible is, as I read through it, I'm really encouraged because I find that there's a lot of knotheads like me in the Bible. I don't know if you can relate to that or not, but I'm thankful that as I read through the Word of God and I see these these different people that at different points they're doing really well in the Lord and then, and then they have a tendency to drift away from God and go through difficult seasons in their life. I'm thankful that I can look to those examples and they can encourage me that there can be hope for somebody like me too. I don't know if you can relate to that. But I'm thankful for the word. I do know that it is easy to get distracted in my relationship with God. Hope y'all had a good spring break. How many of you got to travel over spring break? Anybody get to travel over spring break, go out of town a little bit? Okay, all right. Most of those people aren't here this morning because they're still traveling and uh, praying for them, safety for them as they're making their way back. My family and I, we went camping. We went camping in Petty Jean. <sighs> for four days. And uh, spring break is just a reminder to prepare yourself emotionally, spiritually, and physically for summer break. <laughs> because I love my kids dearly. I also really love school. I mean, I appreciate their education so much. But we went, we went camping, and, and honestly, it was, it was awesome. But y'all know, when you take four little kids camping, uh, it's busy. Uh, there, it, there's a lot going on. And so we did everything, guys. We did the, the bike ride, and we did the fishing. We, we, we did just everything, the s'mores, everything. And we, we went on a hike. And if you've been to Petty Jean, there's, there's about a one-mile hike that you can take from the main lodge uh, down the hill into the canyon into the waterfall, okay? And, and so we decided that we were going to go on this hike, this one-mile hike. So naturally, it took six hours. And uh, 
Because when you have four kids, it is the proverbial herding kittens the whole time. And kittens can be cute, and they can be cuddly. You also want to strangle them sometimes. Maybe it's just me, and you can pray for me. But it just, it's difficult because in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, the hike is to the waterfall. That is where we're trying to go. But as you're walking down the trail, we're walking, we're walking, butterfly. <laughs> Literal squirrels running around. There's distractions everywhere. And so there's those things. And then there's like a hill. So now there's opposition. I'm so tired. My leg, I can't breathe. My head's falling off, just like the whining. And the whole time I'm thinking, come on, we can do this. Together as a family, we can make it to the falls. But it's so difficult because there's so many distractions and there's opposition because you're hiking. And so it feels like you've gotten distracted from the main goal. Have you ever been distracted from the main goals in your life? Have you ever been in a place where you were on the path, but you, something happened? Something shiny. Something neat. Or maybe opposition that took the focus off of where you were supposed to be heading and put it somewhere else. In the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis, you know, God created everything, created Adam and Eve. They had it so good, guys. They had it so good. Walking with God in the cool of the day, just having conversation with him. But it didn't take long. They got distracted and ruined everything. And really, this is a summary of the entire Old Testament. That's the way it works. Like God would bless his people. God would give them good things, give them a path, give them the setup, and they would walk on it for a little bit, and then eventually, squirrel, they get distracted. They'd get off course, or they'd face opposition, and it, they would lose their focus on what God had for them. I think for some of us, this is what our spiritual lives look like. God has blessed you, and God has has wanted to set you up to give you good things and great things, but somewhere along the road, we get distracted. Or we face some opposition that distracts us, gets us off course from where God would want us to go. This is human nature. But God is faithful. This is what it says in 2 Timothy 2.13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny who he is. His name is faithful. He is faithful. It's human nature to drift away from God, but it's God's nature to pursue his kids no matter what. He's faithful. He's faithful. 
I want to encourage you with that this morning. It doesn't matter how good you have been at drifting and running and being distracted. You will never be as good at doing those things as God is pursuing you. God is always going to be better and more faithful at continuing to pursue you. If you have your Bibles, if you have your Bible apps, we're going to be looking at at the book Haggai, or Haggai. Some people in the South say it that way. It's just weird to me, but Haggai. And if you don't know where that is, you have your actual Bibles. Go to Matthew, take a left. It's right in that area. It's a small book, two chapters in between uh, Zephaniah and Zechariah. This is the overview, just a little bit of context. In 1587 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar, we've talked about him before, this bad dude, bad ruler. He came in, invaded Israel, laid siege to the holy city, eventually captured the Israelites, brought them out of that, their country into a foreign land with the primary goal of destroying everything that was their culture, including their belief system. His primary goal was to distract them, to do away from them their belief in God with their covenants to him. And one of the ways that he did this to add insult to injury is he destroyed the temple, completely desecrated it, removed all the holy elements from it, laid it waste. And so the Israelites are completely destroyed within this because not only has their nation been destroyed, not only are they exiles in a foreign nation, but now the central part of who they are, their belief and connection to their creator God and the things that represented that have been completely destroyed. They're in exile for 50 years. And then along came another king, King Cyrus. And King Cyrus, God anointed him to use him, even though he didn't know who God was. Scripture says that, that he was going to use Cyrus to do his will. And what he did was King Cyrus made a proclamation that 50,000 of the Jews could return to their nation, to their home, with the primary purpose of rebuilding the city, but more specifically rebuilding the temple. That was their whole job. The whole job was go back and build because God moved through King Cyrus and made it very clear how important it was. That the the temple, this thing that represented the presence, the relationship, the connectivity between the Israelites and God, that this thing needed to be rebuilt. So they got back, they started building, they got the foundation, they got the altar, and then something happened. They got distracted. They faced some opposition from the Samaritans. And then they just kind of, Gave up. Began to walk away from God. And Haggai 1-2, it says this. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say. Now, this is interesting. Because most of the time, God is saying, my people. My people. Now he's saying, these people. You know, like in your house, when one of your kids does something really, really stupid, they're no longer your kid. They're your spouse's kid. Well, your son, you wouldn't believe what your daughter did, okay? That's where God is at with the Israelites. He's not happy with them. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Now think about this. This is the whole reason why they were brought back, was to build, rebuild the Lord's house. But because now they're facing a little bit of difficulty and some opposition, now they're saying, well, it must not have been the right time. It must not have been God's will for us to be doing this because, look, now it's just, it's just too hard. It's just too hard now. 
So it must not be the right time. We tend to do this too. A lot of times when we face some resistance in the things that God has asked us to do, it's too easy for us to hyper-spiritualize and think that somehow we got smarter than God and think, man, must not have been God's timing, will, and plan, and purpose. And we get distracted. Jesus said in John 16, 33, this is the amplified, amplified version, says, in the world you will have tribulation. You will, and distress, and suffering. Welcome to New Life Church, where you can be so encouraged. <laughs> it says, but, but be courageous. Be courageous, because I have overcome the world. You ever set your mind to do something, and then you just get sideswiped? I mean, I'm going to diet. I'm going to diet. I'm going to diet. And then you go to Sam's. Hungry. And it is not of God because you can get a whole crate of double stuffed Oreos for 10 bucks. That's tribulation. Tribulation. I knew it was that I knew that diet was not from God. It couldn't be. Why would God ask me to do that and then place this heaven sandwiched between two cookies in front of my eyes today? And we give up. I think this is how it, it is for us. We start every year with these goals. Like, man, I'm going to reconcile that relationship. I'm going to do something new. These New Year's resolutions. I mean, shoot, let's just go to the weekend. You come in here, you're having a God encounter. Something happens inside of you. God shifts something, changes something, heals something inside of you. And so before the end of the service, you're making these commitments and this resolution that you want to do something new and something different. You're going to let them work in your life in a different way. You're not going to go back to that thing. You're not going to go back to that sin. You're going to forgive. You're going to let healing come. But Monday comes. And so doth traffic. And you lose your salvation again. Because it's easy to be distracted and discouraged when there's opposition, when there's things that come against you. So for 14 years, for 14 years, they forget about the goodness, the blessings of God, and they focus on themselves. In Haggai chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Give careful thought to your ways. Okay, paneled houses. Like, what is that? Because we think about paneling in our house, we're like, you know, we got to do something about that right now. I mean, it used to be really nice back in the day, but now it's like, eh, try to paint over it, you know, try to do something. But basically what that meant in the original language, this is like high living. High living. So in other words, they're living in these, these nice houses, these nice places, but the temple of God is still in rubble. It's still destroyed. Now, before you get all legalistic and religious on me, I am not saying that it is bad for you to have nice things. How many of you know it's okay for you to have nice things? Can I get an amen? amen. A better amen. amen. It's okay for you to have nice things. God's problem with nice things is when those nice things have you. God's problem with nice things is when your focus and your heart is more towards the things than it is towards the one who gave you the things. 
That's the only time, and that's what happened here. They weren't focused on God. They were focused on their own things. When you focus on building your own thing and and stop building God's thing, that's when God has a problem with it. That's when God has an issue with it. This was the temple. It was God's house. Why was it so important? Because in that time, it represented the center of who you were supposed to be. Before they built an actual temple and they would move the temple with the Israelites, they would always put it at the center. It was supposed to be at the center of everything that they were, everything that they believed. It defined who they were, the presence of God, his word. And it wasn't their focus. Have you ever noticed there's plenty of other things that can make your life busy and distract you? There's plenty of other things that can put you in a place. They got to a place where they quit focusing on gathering. The focus wasn't on the temple. Their focus wasn't on church. Their focus was on other things. And before they knew it, they got comfortable being away from the presence of God. It didn't start that way. It typically doesn't in our lives. Something came up. We had to miss church. I understand. Well, then, you know, we just... We got real tired the next weekend. So we just needed to rest. Okay. But before you know it, one week, two weeks, turns into three weeks, turns into four weeks. Why is the gathering of the saints so important? Well, the word says it is. It says don't forsake it. That's because God knows if we don't come back to a place of focus, we will drift. We'll get distracted. And then when we face opposition, we'll be so discouraged. It'll be difficult to get back on the right path. Verse 6. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages, only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Some of you, you may feel like this. You are completely worn out making a living, but you haven't made a life. God wants you to have a life. You're making more than you ever have before, but maybe it's not enough. You have more things than you've ever had, but it's still not enough. Something's missing. This is the curse of Adam. From the sweat of your brow you will eat, but you will never have enough. The human condition without Jesus is fruitless labor. Haggai's simple message is the message that I want to I give to us today. And it's right there in verse 7. Give careful thought to your ways. Give careful thought to your ways. How can I get focused back on God? First of all, allow God to stir something in you again. Allow God to stir something in you again. 17 years ago, about 17 years ago, something powerful and new and amazing was stirred inside of me because that's when I met my wife, Cody. 
and I started losing my mind. I started writing letters and putting cologne on them. I lost my man card. I started having all kinds of feels. Some were godly, some were not so godly. I just have to admit that. I was a college student, what can I say? But I was stirred. I started walking around like twitching. People were like, what's wrong with you? She's her. It's her. The word of God says, do not awaken love before it's time. That's why we only dated one year. We were engaged three months and we got married because mama didn't raise no fool. <laughs> and we've been married. We're, we're coming up on 15 years of marriage. And I'm so thankful that I'm still stirred towards her. But you'll t- I'll tell you this. It doesn't happen on accident. Because the feels aren't always there. You have to stir. You have to be stirred. In relationship. In love. If you want that relationship to be strong. It says in verse 13... Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, bless you, son of Jetil, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Homer, that guy, and the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of people that came and began to work on the house of the Almighty, their God. The stirring up, the word literally means to awaken. Now God began to do this in individuals and then did it in the remnant of the people that he had brought, brought out of exile. God was stirring this inside of them. In 2 Timothy, Paul tells Timothy to, to fan into flame the gift that was given to him with the laying on of hands. Okay, But here's the key. Who did the flaming or who did the, the, the fanning into flame? Timothy did. Timothy did it. See, here's the deal. You have to be the one that allows yourself to be stirred again. Your mama won't do it. Your auntie won't do it. Your grandma won't do it. And it's not your pastor's job either. You have to allow yourself to be stirred in the presence of God. And only you can make the choice to do that. We had to be stirred. We had to be stirred to leave Colorado, where I was born and raised, to leave the comfort zone of that place, to move to Arkansas. The first day we set foot in here was the first day we moved here. We had to be stirred in our spirit to make that decision. After seven years of leading a leadership discipleship school, and we were comfortable, and we had our rhythm, we had to be stirred again to move to Cabot, Arkansas, to pastor this church. You will have seasons in your life where you will have to allow yourself to be stirred again to allow God to move in your life. But this is what I have learned. Whatever doesn't get stirred gets hard. If your heart is never stirred, your heart will get hard to the things of God. When you are cooking something, if you don't stir it, it gets burned. I see a lot of people get burned, not because of the situation that they are in. It's that they quit getting stirred by God. 
You have to be stirred. And so my question is, what is something that God is trying to stir in you again? What is God trying to stir in you again? Is God trying to stir again in you to fight for your marriage harder than you've ever fought before? Is God trying to stir inside of you that it's time to pursue a new job or new business opportunity? Is God trying to stir inside of you that it's time to lead a life group? It's time to share your story. It's time to use your testimony for the glory of God and for his kingdom. What is God trying to start stirring you? But once God stirs, look, we have to respond with action. Number two, be strong and get to work. Haggai 2.4, but now the Lord says, be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Jeshua, son of Jehezadek, the high priest. Be strong, all the people still left in the land. And now get to work, for I'm with you. The Lord of the heavens army says, three times he says, be strong and get to work, be strong, get to work, be strong, get to work. They needed to hear this because they were discouraged. Why were they discouraged? For the same reasons that we get discouraged. But one of them was comparison. They were discouraged because of comparison. Why? Because they were comparing where they were at and what they had done in comparison to what Solomon had built. Bad idea. If what Solomon had built still exists today, it would, it, would be, it would be one of the seven wonders of the world. It would be the most amazing thing that has ever been constructed by man. A lot of times the issue that we have is we are comparing our start with someone else's finish. We're comparing where we are at versus where somebody has been working and developing to be to for years and years and years. And a lot of times we find ourselves in this place. I get incredibly discouraged when I start comparing where I'm at to someone else. And a lot of you can relate to this. Some of you ladies, you walk in here, you aren't comparing yourself to some other lady in the house, but you're comparing your kids to somebody else's kids in the house. Because that other family walks in, and every time they walk into church, their outfits came off their printer's board, like every Sunday's Easter. How do they get it together? I'm just trying to get my kids to put on their pants. <laughs> but you're discouraged. Their kid is in every single sport, and they, they win every year the, the Little League World Championship. I don't know how there can be so many of those, but there are, and everybody can win them. But they win it every single year. My kid is flunking PE right now. Uh, their kid in third grade is in all AP classes and learning Mandarin. I can't get my kid to stop headbutting head strangers in the midsection every time they meet them. And you're discouraged because you're comparing. And this will happen. And that's what they're doing. They're, they're discouraged because they're comparing. If you ever want to feel like a massive loser, just go on Instagram for a little while. Because every picture on there is the best picture. But if you compare yourself to that, if you compare yourselves in and of yourselves, you will be found without wisdom. That's scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Comparing will wear you out and discourage you. Another thing is lack of progress. Man, I'm a month into this, and it's not going well. You start a business. It's two steps forward, three steps back. I've been eating green stuff and drinking almond milk for a week, and I've gained five pounds. <laughs> this doesn't seem to be working. A lack of progress. A number of things can do this. Spiritually, it could be that you're overcome by that one sin. Man, you just, you've been walking with Jesus for so long. How is it that you still struggle with this one sin? 
and you can get discouraged. Start to lose hope. What do I do when I get in that place? The only thing I know to do, fight. Fight. But not with my own strength. With the strength of the Lord. The strength of the Lord. It says, why? For I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. When God's power is with you. But the thing is, God's power is not just with you. It's in you. It's in you. In Haggai chapter 2, verse 9, the future glory of this temple will be greater than its past glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And in this place, I will bring peace. I, the Lord of heaven's armies, have spoken. What? How in the world could the glory of this future temple be? Because God's not talking about the building. He's talking about the coming of Jesus. More specifically, he's talking about the spirit of Jesus being given. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about experiencing Christ in them. When the Spirit of God fills you up, man, there's nothing like it. It changes everything. He's with you, but he's also in you, and greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And I, I'll ask this question. What would you do if you really bought into this? If you really believed that the Spirit of the living God was with you and in you, what would you do? What could you accomplish for the kingdom of God if you really believe that? We're really bought into that with everything that you have. It's time to take action. Rebuild something. Rebuild something in your life because he's with you. It's time to rebuild your marriage. It's time to pursue being generous because he's with you. He's with you. He's in you. Number three, let God reset your priorities. Let God reset your priorities. When your priorities change, your perspective changes. And when God resets your priorities, you quit focusing on yourself and you start focusing on his great commission, which is souls. I'm gonna go to this verse in Isaiah 58. It says, some of you will rebuild the deserted ruins of the cities. <laughs> That's the Arkansas that God sees. It says, some of you, though, I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of the sum. It says, some of you will rebuild deserted ruins in your cities. Then you will be known as a rebuilder of walls, a restorer of homes. This message translation is so cool. You'll use the old rubble of the past lives to build anew. Rebuild the foundations from your past. You'll be known as those who can fix anything, restore old ruins, rebuild and renovate, make the community livable again. You see, whenever God stirs, his purpose in the stirring is ultimately always gonna be about souls. But he wants to meet with you first. Let's all stand together, close your eyes. We're gonna worship God here in a second. But I wanna, I wanna, I wanna circle back to my story about being a petty gene. Because uh, this is the honest truth. And I did not see this, and I typically don't see it in the moment. I'm a slow learner. It takes me a while. The reality of this was this. My kids were not the ones that were distracted. I was the one that was distracted. 
Because what was most important in that moment was not getting to the falls. The most important thing in that moment was being with my kids and enjoying the butterflies and the squirrels and, and having them understand that I know that their legs hurt, that it's hard sometimes, but to encourage them. And I think the most important thing that some of you can leave with today is your heavenly father is with you and he sees you and he has a plan and a purpose and a destination for you. But his number one priority is for you to know that he's with you. He knows the things that can distract you. He knows the difficulties that you're facing. And he wants you to stir your heart again, to be open to his presence. Let's close your eyes. Father God, as we get ready to worship you, I pray that you would move in every person's life in this room. Stir in their hearts, Father God, to experience your presence. Spirit of the living God, thank you for being here this morning. But I know some of us, we, we need to meet with you. So right now, remove distractions. Remove it. God, I pray sovereignly you would remove the to-do list out of our minds. The things that are broken that we're so focused on that all we can really do is surrender to you to fix. Whatever it is, God, that's consuming our thoughts and our emotions, we surrender to you. Be focused on you in this moment and in your presence. Let's worship you.